Tonight, God's Word comes to us from two passages of Scripture. First, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then we're also going to read from Acts chapter 18. So you may want to put your bulletin in Acts 18 as we'll read that after uh, 1 Corinthians 1. First Corinthians 1, we'll be reading the first 19 verses. What we hear now is God's word. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who, are, who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus, that, you, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's turn now to Acts chapter 18. And in Acts 18, we're going to read the first 11 verses. <clears throat> After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And, they st and he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Here we are in the reading of God's holy word. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open tonight as we'll be turning to a few different texts in the 1 Corinthians book. 
Well, this evening, we are beginning a new series of sermons on 1 Corinthians. Paul, the author of this book, certainly one of the premier New Testament writers. Reading Paul, we get so much of our foundational theology, which we love and embrace in the church. When we think of Paul and theology, probably one of the first things that comes to our mind is the clear exposition of the doctrine of the justification by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Paul has given us wonderful theological instruction. And as I mentioned this morning, Paul also is very good at giving us ethical exhortation, the practical application of his theology. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes a church, giving them instruction on how to live the Christian life based on the truth of our wonderful theology of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As we look at 1 Corinthians, you will probably see it's a little more ethically weighted than theologically weighted, although we do have that beautiful section in 1 Corinthians 13, the theology of the resurrection of the dead, and what wonderful comfort that gives to us. It's a book about how we should live, and in that way, I think it will be a good companion uh, to our morning sermons on the law of God. This, now, perhaps a little more uh, particular instances of how we apply the law of God in our life. It is one of Paul's longer letters. So we will take some time uh, to go through this epistle together. Tonight, I hope that we can orient ourselves to this book. Who is the writer? Who is being written to? And what is the fundamental message that is given in 1 Corinthians? It's a book that spoke to the church in the first century. It's a book that still speaks to us today. A real book for real live people. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, the author of this letter. And Paul, the founder of this church. As we read in Acts chapter 18, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And Paul founded the church at Corinth. We read that he was there for a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This church is planted on Paul's second missionary journey. It is about A.D. 52 or so. And Paul goes, and the way he plants this church is to preach Christ. From chapter 18, verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. That one who they were looking for had come in the person of Jesus Christ. He was there for 18 months. He knew them. And Paul had a lot of contact with this church. Paul wrote the Corinthian church four different letters. 
Now, kids, you know in the Bible, we only have two letters to Corinth. Why would I say that Paul wrote four letters to Corinth? Well, in God's providence, two of the letters that Paul wrote to Corinth are lost to us. But we know he wrote them from the letters that we do have. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Now this is from 1 Corinthians. And Paul says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. He is making reference to a letter that he wrote previous to this. I wrote you in my letter. We know that some came from Corinth to visit Paul. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Some came from Chloe's house and reported to Paul that there were difficulties in the Corinthian church. Paul had sent a previous letter, and now he will send a letter to respond to what Chloe's people had told him. And so if you go to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So some people had visited Paul. The Corinthian church had written to Paul. And now Paul is going to write back to them his second letter. That's 1 Corinthians. It's first because it's the only one we have, the first one we have. But it's the second letter that Paul writes to them. After that, Paul visits them at some point, and then he will write them a third time. Go to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we read this. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I caused you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of all of you. For I wrote you out of much affliction, and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. He makes reference to a letter that he wrote out of affliction, out of anguish of heart. We refer to that often as Paul's severe letter. But that's not the character of 1 Corinthians. He's not referring to 1 Corinthians when he says, I wrote you. He's referring to this severe letter out of anguish, out of pain, out of heartache that he wrote. That's Paul's third letter, his severe letter. We do not have that letter. And then Paul will write once again. His fourth letter to Corinth, 
which we call 2 Corinthians. It's the second one that we have. So we have letters 2 and letter 4. And all of this to say, Paul knew this church. Paul knew to whom he was writing. Paul was the spiritual father of this church. He had labored there for 18 months. He had written them on several occasions. He'd received reports about them. He visited them. Paul knew the church to whom he was writing. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Yes, he knew this church well. Yes, he was their spiritual father. But he writes them as an apostle of God, as an apostle of Christ Jesus. He wants to make clear to them his relationship to them. He's not only a brother in the Lord, but he comes as an apostle. His apostleship by the will of God, not something that Paul chose for himself, to be sure. We can read the story of Paul's conversion. He didn't choose for God. No, God came to him. God called him to be an apostle. That was a point of contention between the Corinthian church and Paul. Was he really speaking for God? Did he really have the authority to tell them how, he sh how they should live? That, that tension is seen more clearly in 2 Corinthians than in 1 Corinthians. But this church questioned the authority that he had. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle. An apostle is one who speaks with the authority of the sender. Christ Jesus himself sent Paul the apostle to minister to this church. It was as if Jesus Christ himself was speaking to them. When, when Paul spoke to them and wrote to them. Today, we sometimes have the tendency to, in some ways, make a distinction with Paul between that which he speaks as an apostle and that which he speaks sort of as his own opinion. And that comes because of a misreading of a text like 1 Corinthians 7. Turn there once again, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And look at verse 10. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. To the married, I give a charge. Not me, but this is what the Lord says. Now compare that with the same chapter, verse 25, where we read this. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And some have used this text to say, look, there's times when Paul speaks for the Lord, and there's times where he just gives his opinion as a man. That's a misunderstanding of what's being said in chapter 7, verse 25, and a misunderstanding of his apostleship. 
When he says in chapter 7, verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, what he means is the Lord, when he was on the earth, did not address this particular matter. That's why I have no teaching from the Lord, because the Lord didn't address this. But he says, I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. But I will speak on the Lord's behalf on this matter. Because I have been called as an apostle. The church was to receive the instruction he was bringing as if it was instruction from Christ himself. Not just good advice, but the word of God. We must receive Paul's instruction in the same way. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He will give us ethical instruction and exhortation, but it's not just good advice of how to get along in the world. It is the word of God for how we should live. Verse 2. To the church of God, that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So the church of God in Corinth. You recall perhaps that Corinth was a city in Greece. And it was a strategic city in Greece. Greece, kids, is made up of really two big pieces. There's a big piece up to the north and then a big piece down to the south. And those two pieces are connected by a thin strip of land called an isthmus. That's hard to say. It's an isthmus. And Corinth was right on that isthmus. So if you wanted to go from the mainland of Greece to the Peloponnesus of Greece, you had to go through Corinth. On one side of that isthmus was the Corinthian Gulf. On the other side was the Sarconic Gulf. If you wanted to get anything from one gulf to the other, you had to go across the isthmus. You had to go through Corinth. It was a strategic city located on a land bridge. And so it was a major city of commerce. Everything flowed through Corinth. Whether over land or whether over sea, it went through Corinth, a major city of commerce. We might, we might say sort of like, um, like Chicago. We were in Chicago last weekend. Still a major city of commerce. All the highways and freeways going every which way out of Chicago. That's, that's kind of what Corinth was like. It was a cultured city. Now, there was no university there like there was in Athens, but it was a major center of culture and intellect. The fine arts were there, and literature was there, and philosophy was there. It was a very, very cultured place. Again, in many ways like Chicago, lots of culture, lots of arts, lots of things to go see and do and all of that. It was a city of commerce. It was a city of culture. It was a very religious city. Religious, but pagan. You could go to Corinth and find over a dozen temples to a dozen different gods. In Corinth, you could worship anything or everything or nothing. 
They were religious pagans, morally bankrupt. Uh, Corinth was not necessarily a safe place to walk at night. You would be careful walking through Corinth. There was one historian who described the sexual immorality in Corinth, and he said, to act like a Corinthian was to describe the nature of the sexual deviance. That was a phrase, to, to be a Corinthian was to be sexually deviant. It was plagued, plagued by sins, plagued by sins of the heart, lust and anger and pride and resentment. And as such, it was much like our culture today. We live in a Corinthian culture. Business, commerce, industry, intellect, arts, and paganism all around us. It's a letter appropriate to the church today. The people in Corinth Back in, first, excuse me, back in Acts chapter 18, we read, Paul went to Corinth, he meets up with Aquila, he meets Priscilla, he stays with them for a time, doing tent making with them, 18 verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. As was his regular practice, he would go to the synagogue first. That was God's plan. The gospel first to the Jew. And so Paul, following that plan, would go regularly to the synagogue and reason, trying to explain the gospel to them. We read in verse 5, once again, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent from now on. I will go to the Gentiles. How thankful I am for those words. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. That's us. Yes, the gospel was for the Jew first, but it is also for the Gentile. And God said to Paul regarding Corinth, again from chapter 18, uh, verse 9, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. I have many who are here who need to hear the gospel. The people were made up of Jews and Gentiles to the church of God that is in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, called to be saints. That was their calling, called together by Jesus Christ to live out the implications of the gospel, called to belong together as the church. Paul greets them in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Even that greeting of Paul reflects the, the connection of now Jews and Greeks hearing the gospel. Grace, kyrene, was a typical Greek greeting. It was how they would greet each other, kyrene, grace. Paul now using that word form kairis to the Greeks, Grace and peace. Shalom. The Jewish 
greeting. He greets the church as Greek and Jew now brought together. One church called to live in harmony, in fellowship with each other. Called to, to live a holy life. It's an ethical letter for them. It's an ethical letter for us. We still have that greeting. Kids, at the beginning of the service, you see me raise my hands and say, grace to you and peace. That's for all. Not for a slim part of the congregation, but for all that God brings here. A church bound together from different backgrounds. We are not so unlike the Corinthian congregation. And then, what is the message that Paul's going to bring to them? I have on the outline the magnificent message. And if you have um, recently read through 1 Corinthians, I would encourage you to do that in the next week or two, read through the whole book. You might say, magnificent message. It's a book, it's a letter addressing problem after problem after problem in the church. There are at least 10 to 12 different issues, problems going on, that Paul's going to address. In the first three chapters, he talks about divisions going on in the church. Chapter 4, a failure to recognize the authority in the church. Chapter 5, laxity in church discipline in the church. Chapter 6, dealing with lawsuits among believers and sexual immorality. Chapter 7, troubles in marriage. Chapter 8, food sacrificed to idols. Chapter 10, the limits on individual freedom and the limits on our conscience. Chapters 11 through 14, troubles in worship, worship issues. And chapter 15, a misunderstanding of the resurrection. What's this glorious, magnificent message? It's problem after problem after problem. They had to be instructed how to live in a sinful world. So what does Paul say? Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. Even this church, with all of its problems, Paul says, I give thanks for you because of the grace of God you have received. Because of what God has done in you and for you. Yes, there are troubles. Yes, we'll get to those. But I thank God for you. I thank God for the grace you have received. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. Being enriched by God himself in speech and in knowledge. Verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. They had everything necessary to be the church. The church God called them to be, not lacking in anything. Going on in verse 7, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God who will sustain you all the way to the end. You will be guiltless before him. A great hope for the future. And then the reason why. Why does Paul give thanks? Why, why can he give thanks in spite of all the difficulties going on? Verse 9 the magnificent message, God is faithful. 
God is faithful. That's why Paul could give thanks. That's why he could have such confidence as he wrote this church. Because God himself is faithful in spite of our sins. In spite of the individual sins, which he will address. In spite of the corporate sins of the church that he will address. In spite of our sin, God remains faithful to his church. That was the hope for the Corinthians. That is our hope today as well. There are some who suggest that the age of the church is over. We are beyond the need for a church anymore. That's for a different time. I can assure you, the church will continue because God himself is faithful. The age of the church is not over. He has called a people to be his very own. And even though there are problems, difficulties, sins that raise their heads, God will not let his people go. God is faithful even to his sinful church. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. The call of the gospel. The call that goes out again tonight to reject ourselves, to reject our sinful ways, to embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior because God is faithful, because he has many people in this city and through the preaching of the gospel, he will bring every one of them into the church. 1 Corinthians is a beautiful letter. It's a letter for those who live in a Corinthian culture just like we do. It's a letter for those who struggle with sin, just like we do. But it's a letter for those who have received the grace of God, who know him as Lord and Savior, just like we do. God was faithful to the Corinthian church, and God will continue to be faithful to our church. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for your word. A word that is right and a word that is true and a word that never fails because you, O oh God, never fail. As we begin this study of the church at Corinth and your instructions through the Apostle Paul for them, may you by your spirit apply those instructions to us as well. Help us to know how to live in a Corinthian culture in a sinful and fallen world. Help us to bear witness to the fact that we know Jesus Christ because of what your grace has done, given to us in Christ Jesus, that we live in a way not that gives into the world, but which stands up and is counted as your church, the church of your Son, Jesus Christ. Bless us in this study. Bless us in our life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to turn to number 245. Number 245. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not, as thou hast been, 
thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. We're going to sing just verse 1 and verse 3. Verses 1 and 3 of 245. Let's stand together as we sing. Receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.